0: The book of James, chapter 1. You can rise for the reading of God's word. Oh, by the way, one other announcement. Brooke and David Reyes had a baby girl on Friday. Addison Morgan, all right, 9 pounds, 20 inches. We'll welcome her as an adult practically of that size uh, into the church. Or Anyway, James chapter 1, verse 1. It says, James, by the Holy Spirit, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We don't plan our trials. We fall into them, Right? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. he is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways let's pray, Father, I just pray that you would make us stable in all our ways, Lord, even as we draw into you this morning, recognizing that in the natural, we are one unstable group of people. But in Christ, Lord, we can have confidence that we're standing on the rock, stable as ever. Lead us to the rock this morning, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did we say a bondservant was? A bondservant is a person who, out of love for his or her master, freely chooses to become the master's servant or slave for life. We went over this last week. James, the writer of this book had freely chosen to become Jesus servant for life James a bond servant of Jesus Christ verse 1 as we talked about last week it wasn't always that way he grew up as Jesus brother we know that his blood brother that is that we know that from galatians chapter 1 verse 19 and we know from scripture that Jesus family his brothers uh, became a pretty significant problem for him. So long so uh, along with the rest of his family, James, just by way of review one, didn't believe in Jesus. There's the references if you need them. We went over them last week. Number two, actively opposed Jesus' ministry. Uh, number three, James thought Jesus was out of his mind. Sound crazy? Go to Mark chapter 3 and read the chapter. And then finally, James became an enemy of Jesus. Most uh, scholars believe that when Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty six, where Jesus said a man's enemies are the uh, members of his own household, he was speaking from personal experience. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... Uh, it says that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and appeared to many people, one of the p- people that he appeared to was his own brother, James. Now we don't know for sure what happened at that meeting, but I think it's fair to say that it was a similar. It was similar, really, to other meetings in the Bible where uh, <clears throat> someone encountered the Lord, and all of a sudden their eyes were opened up to every, everything that the lord was in his fullness example isaiah chapter 6 when isaiah found himself in the very presence of god what did he do he cried out woe is me i am ruined for i am a man of unclean lips and i have my eyes have seen the lord almighty same thing with the apostle peter when he first realized that he was in the presence of Jesus. I believe the first time he realized that when he was in the presence of Jesus, he was in the presence of God. What did he say? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, he said. And we can only imagine James meeting Jesus after Jesus' resurrection, having come to the place in James' life where, one, he didn't believe in him, He didn't respect him. He thought he was out of his mind. He actively tried to get him, uh, pull him out of his ministry and treated him like an enemy from one moment to the next, meeting Jesus after Jesus' resurrection, the full weight of his rejection of the living God just coming upon him. Woe is me. I am Ruined for what I've done. But then Jesus, just supernaturally, just lifting that weight and replacing it with love. Just replacing that weight with love. James, I love you. A new day has come to our relationship. A new day. And listen, I don't want to talk about your past. I want to talk about the future. I want to use you as a herald, as a messenger, as a voice of my love, my love for the world. Will you be that man for me James. Yes. Yes, I will. He becomes a bond servant of Jesus Christ with just a humility. He didn't, br- he didn't begin his letter. James, a brother of Jesus. Oh boy, we better listen to this. No, James, a bond servant of Jesus written by someone as much as anyone else in the Bible knew about the love the tender mercies of God he knew firsthand about the full measure of his of God's forgiveness he knew about the grace of God the exceeding abundant grace and so we would do well to study this book carefully and again he begins in verse 2 by saying what my brethren Count it all joy. Some translations say sheer joy. Others say pure joy. Count it pure joy. When you fall into various trials, other translations say all kind of trials. And yet another translation says, Consider yourself fortunate. Another translation says, Count yourselves supremely happy when you fall into all kinds of trials. So now again, I know for me, if all kinds of trials pour into my life, you know, I get fired from my job, my car's totaled, my bank account's emptied, people I thought loved and trusted begin to spread ugly lies about me. <laughs> it's all coming at once. Various trials, all kinds of trial, and some brother fires off a letter that begins, not ends, it begins, Steve-O, count it all joy that you're in these trials. Man, I just want to hunt that guy down. Are you mocking my pain, man? You mocking my pain? No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> At least not the physical part. But, uh, you know, I, I, I talk about insensitivity. I, I just imagining getting a letter like that. But there's something about this letter, though, the book of James. I think it has everything to do with the fact that it's written by the Holy Spirit where man, when I am underneath a mountain of trial and affliction, I read this first, count it all joy, Steve. When you're in all kinds of trial, that it's just like water to my soul. It's like water to the soul. And as I'm preparing this lesson, I asked the Lord, why is that? Why are these crazy, crazy words? Talk about the strangest way to begin a letter. And again, we talked about this last week. Rather than saying, oh, man, brother, brother, I heard about these trials. I'm so sorry. No, count it all joy. Why is it that these words are like water to water my soul? Why, Lord? Well, I believe it's because when we read this verse, count it all joy, Steve, when you're in all kinds of trial, it's, it's I'm receiving the blessed assurance directly from the Lord that I am exactly where he wants me to be. I'm exactly where he wants me to be. You know one of the things that makes our trials so unbearable? You know why? One of the things that makes our trials so unbearable is because when we're in the midst of them, we're convinced, we convince ourselves that if we were only out of them, we'd be so much happier, so much better off, so much more blessed if we were out of them. We open up James chapter 1, verse 2, and we discover from the word of God no, that is not the case. You are just where I want you to be. Really, Lord? Really. There's another reason this verse, James 1 2, this famous, famous verse, is water to, will be water to your soul because it is the blessed assurance, not only that in the midst of your trials, you're exactly where God wants you to be, but also that God is right there with you. That he's right there with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. There's just the sense when I read this verse, count it all joy, Steve, that you're in these trials, that God is with me. In Daniel chapter 3, when the three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into a furnace of fire, King Nebuchadnezzar looked in and declared, What? Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? Look, there's a fourth, and he looks like the Son of God. Jesus is with you in the furnace of fire. Of course, it's true that Jesus lives inside of us, so he's always right there. But the Bible does teach that Jesus will draw closer, draw you in closer than ever in the middle of the furnace, if you're willing. Count it all joy. When you fall into all kinds of trials. By the way, 1 Peter chapter 4 has its own version of this. I just want to put this up real quick. We have that? 1 Peter chapter 4? Maybe? Yes? No? Kind of? <laughs> it says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, but rejoice. But Rejoice rejoice so let's continue again verse 2 my brother encountered all joy when you fall into various trials, verse 3 knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience same word perseverance or endurance so when we are in trials and afflictions our faith is what tested how does that happen we start testing God. <laughs> we start questioning the Lord. For example, again, what did we say? One of the most fundamental uh, verses, uh, promises in the Bible, I will never leave your forsake you, Hebrews 3, 13, 5. But when we are in a fiery hot trial, we start questioning that. We start testing that, the truth of that promise. We call it into question. Is that really true that uh, I you'll never leave me or forsake me? So I'm going through the book of Exodus in my personal devotion time. In Exodus 17, the Israelites have been delivered by God from the bondage of slavery, but they find themselves in the wilderness with no water. What do they do? Same thing we do. They panic. What do they cry out? Is the Lord among us or not? They start questioning the Lord. They start testing the Lord. And their faith is being, as a result, tested as your faith today. Maybe being tested by a trial that you're in. Maybe your financial world is caving in. Maybe your marriage, your job, your health, all of the above. Is the Lord going to save me out of this or What? What if I wait for his deliverance and he never shows up? No, don't do that, says the book of James. James says, consider it pure joy where you are because this testing of your faith produces patience. And verse 4, and let or but let that patience have its perfect work. I love that. Brand that on your soul Let patience have its perfect work. The temptation when you're in a trial is to do what? Run. To flee from it. Bolt, whatever the word is. But listen, if you run from it, patience can't do its perfect work. Isaiah 64, 8 says this, God is the potter, we are the clay, we are the work of his hand. But if you run away from the potter's wheel, the potter can't form you and fashion you into the likeness of the Son of God. John chapter 15 says what? God is the vine dresser, Jesus is the vine, you are the branch. That's right. It says that every branch uh, that he uh, bears fruit, he prunes, that, uh, that it may bear more fruit. You know what pruning is. It's like cutting off part of the branch, the bad parts, so the good uh, parts will bear more fruit. But if you run away from the vineyard, he can't prune you. If he can't prune you, he cannot form and fashion you into the likeness of his son. What does James say? Let patience have its perfect work. We try to wriggle out of the fiery furnace that God puts us in. He says, let patience have its perfect work. So many times I'm in a trial, my first reaction is what? God, please, please get me out of here. Not so fast. How can I be in a relationship if I don't trust? How can I trust if my trust is not built up? How can trust be built up without trial? Same thing in a marriage. Trust is built up over time. Same thing fathers with kids, mothers with kids. Trust is built up over time. How can you be in a relationship if you don't trust? God wants a relationship with you. Christianity is not a religion. Jesus hates religion. Jesus wants a relationship with you. But how can he have a relationship if you don't trust? How can you trust? If your trust is never built up, how can uh, trust be built up if there are no trials? Won't happen. So verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is another word of saying, so that you can be transformed into the likeness of his son. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So, what do we. Uh, need when all kinds of when we find ourselves trials sort of pouring into our lives. What do we need when that happens? Wisdom. That's why he says here: if anyone lacks wisdom when you're in the midst of all these trials, you ask for it. Ask ask of the the Lord there. And, and then in verse five again, he says. If you ask that, if anyone asks for lax wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. So it says he gives to all, not just to pastors, preachers, and priests, to all. It says he gives liberally. What does liberally mean? Think opposite of stingy. Hey, man, can I borrow a section of your newspaper? Go buy your own newspaper. That's stingy. God is not like that. (laughs) You know, he he, he gives over and above what is expected. It says he gives to all liberally and without reproach. What does that mean? It means when you come to God asking for wisdom, he doesn't say, what, are you dumb or something? (laughs) Who would ask for wisdom on something like that? It's so obvious what you're supposed to do. Go figure it out yourself. Listen, quit projecting onto God the personality of your fourth grade math teacher, okay? You know, God's not, not your fourth grade math, math teacher. God is God. He gives liberally without reproach. I mean, he loves, he loves to give the wisdom. God wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will, much more. He gives liberally and without reproach, and he will show you his will, although it does say there's one condition. There is a condition behind this one. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The Bible does say, without faith, impossible to please God. So listen, the one thing that God requires when you ask for wisdom is faith. In other words, you need to go in with a mindset, this kind of mindset. I've asked for it, therefore... He's going to give it. End of story. That's what this is saying. Now notice, doesn't say anything about what here? Timing. Oh, man, what a bummer. Doesn't say anything about timing. Why is that? Because God knows you're not ready yet many times to receive the wisdom. That's why the Bible is just filled with this three-letter verse which either we can shake our fist at this verse or we can embrace. What are those three, letter, th- three words? Wait on the Lord. That's four words. Uh, <laughs> God help me. It's Father's Day. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. That's why it, 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 take heart, be strong, take heart, and wait on the Lord. I love that verse. And that, 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 that verse, seriously, So 40 or 50 times, we sell a book in our bookstore called Waiting on God. This is such a critical part of being in Christ. And and so sometimes the Lord knows what is best for us, and what is best for us is that we wait on the answer. He knows we can't handle the answer now, so he wants us to wait. But be sure of this, the answer will come. You can bank the Bible on it. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his Pursuits. Now, some people get a little unnerved, particularly you rich guys and gals out there, that you read these verses, they seem to be saying that if you are rich, like it or not, man, you're doomed. A lot of you are saying, well, that's pretty cool because that ain't me. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, let's, let, let's read the Bible in its context here. What is the context? What is James talking about? Faith. He's talking about faith. You put your faith, your trust in Christ alone. So often, riches substitute faith. We take riches and we substitute our faith for the riches that we receive. That is a, you know, there's this, there's this expression that, and, and it's totally of, of the world, Uh, It it, it says this. It says, you know, uh, money and riches, you know, true, they're not everything, but it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to have it. Oh, that's wrong. And that's really worldly. Sometimes it does hurt. Many times it does in the very place you can least afford to have it hurt in your walk with the Lord. And so we wonder, you know, why is it that I'm not being promoted at work? And why is this guy down the hall, you know, uh, he he got a promotion or this happened in school or whatever happened to him, uh, you know, it didn't happen to me. Well, it's because you are a child of God and God wants to keep you as a child of God. He wants to keep you in that place where you're trusting in him where you're trusting in him. And that, and that really, uh, that is what this is talking about. If God is blessing you materially, praise God, but also you better be really careful. It is not becoming a substitute for your faith in Christ. Oh, if I could count the shipwrecks of people saying, oh, I can handle this. I can handle this extra money. I can handle this dough, this promotion, if I could only count the number of times. Those were famous last words. And the person had to sort of return to the faith after sort of shipwrecking their walk with God. And and that's what, what he is saying here. On the contrary, uh, The poor, and it's not talking here about beggars. It's talking about the working poor. You live from paycheck to paycheck. Again, many of you are like, "Yeah, man, that's me, preacher brother." Well, when you're like that, you tend to trust more in the Lord day by day, giving your, uh, putting your trust in the Lord. So it says, verse nine, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. James goes on in verse twelve. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Blessed is the man or woman who endures temptation. You want to be blessed, guys, gals? When you find yourself in temptation, put your faith in God and don't Give in. You know, I have people come up to me and say, oh, Pastor Stevie, I feel so dry. I just don't think God is, is real in my life. There's no joy. Only to find out that they are routinely and regularly giving into temptation. This word says, the word of God says, blessed are you who endure. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Verse speaks for itself, doesn't it? For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, so oftentimes our church goes on... on a lot of mission trips, and, 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 and I love that about our church body. But, you know, we go to these places and we think sometimes that the missionaries and people living out on the mission field, wow, they're going to get all the rewards, all the crowns of life, and, and how can we possibly get anything with all the abundance that we have in America? Well, let me tell you, there is a special crown of life, and this verse says it, verse 12 for someone living in the United States of America with temptation being pumped into their living room, their bedroom, on billboards, every TV commercial, I don't by the time we're like 21, how many sexual references are there on TV? The average kid, something like 735,000, some ridiculously high number, there is a special blessing For the man or woman who endures the temptation. Is that something I made up? No. Verse 12. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. So what did, you know, when, when Adam fell in the garden. When he fell in the garden, God came to him. What's up with this, Adam? What did he say? It's that woman, you gave me. (laughs) He's blaming God. He gave him to temptation. He's blaming God. And so often, this is what happened. Well, God, look what you've done. This this misery I am in, in my life. All these terrible circumstances that have come upon me. Look, Look what you've done. No, let never anyone say, that he is tempted by God. The Bible does say this, and this is a very important distinction. God will place trials in your life, He will even lead you into the wilderness. The Bible says the Holy Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be, te- to be tempted by Satan, but not for evil. He led the children of Israel into the wilderness to be tested. To be tested. How else do we grow in our faith, in our relationship with God, unless we are in trials? But listen, God never tempts us to evil. You say that, I'm confused, Steve. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, I was in New York. Yes, I do go to New York every once in a while, (laughs) into the city. And uh, I went out one night, I think it was a Friday evening. And uh, I went with my daughter Grace, mccurley headed Grace. You girl, you guys know her. She's an adorable little girl. And uh, we went up to the skating rink in the Bronx. Ever, anyone ever been there? The skating rink in the Bronx, wonderful place. Um, although, you know, when we got there on this night, man, I, this place has happened. I mean, this is like date night. Uh, you know, I never in my in my in my wildest dreams would have thought this ice skating rink in the middle of the Bronx would just like be packed with all these young people. So anyway. <laughs> So Grace and I are, you know, uh, we're uh, skating around. I'm, we're having a great, you know, daddy-daughter thing. I'm sk- skating around. She's holding my hand. All of a sudden, this 20-year-old, very attractive young lady grabs Grace's hand. I'm like, what is going on here? You know, I... You know. <laughs> And, and 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 so this this girl is over here and and i don't know who she is and 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 all of a sudden it's been two or three laps and pastor steve yes i was the pastor pastor steve is is circling around this rink with this beautiful young lady on the other side of his young daughter's hand let me tell you god did not send that woman okay <laughs> God did not send that woman. It says, What? Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God so by, by the way just to 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 you know finish the story, okay <laughs> I did not wind up in the daily news, the New York Daily the next morning but but you know i, I, I how, do, how how do I make this person go? I mean this is just really strange. Talk about Jesus. <laughs> So do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? He is the living God. She didn't even say goodbye. I mean, she, she bolted, man. It took her one second to, to go. But anyway, God did not, get, did not send her there. But, but listen. Let me just give you a, a short other illustration. Because this is really important. Today is Father's Day. God treats us like his children. We are his children. The Bible says... If you receive Jesus, if you believe in His name, He gives you the right to become children of God. We just sent our daughter Adley off to Peru. She's 17 years old. She's there for a month. She's going to be living there, uh, working in a Christian cafe. Pray for her. The first day she was there, all her money was stolen. She went into a bus, and some guy came up to her. She didn't know what was going on. Took all her money. Uh, But anyway, that's what happens, and we you know persevere anyway. But in a very real way, Stephanie and I are sending her there, man, as a test to her faith, to build up her faith. We're sending her right in the middle of trials, you know, because we know what's going to happen as she, as she perseveres with the Lord there. But let me tell you what I would never, ever do. I'd never go out into Boston and find some slick womanizer guy with his a- a- hair all oil back and say, hey, man, that's my daughter. Go after her. Do you see the distinction? A lot of people get confused by James chapter 1, you know, because the Bible does say the Lord tests us, but he doesn't test us for evil. Let no one say, verse 13, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. This is important, verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, when you sin and you lay hold of that sin and you stay in it, there will be death. If it's not physical death, I promise you, it'll be death in your relationships, death in your employment, death in your school, whatever. Death will begin. Sin is filled with death. And when you lay hold of sin, it, it, you know, it, it begins to work death out into your life. But this has a very important uh, teaching here. It says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So that tells you what? That tells you that the temptation itself is not sin. So don't be getting all down on yourself because some thought goes into your mind, some lurid thought, some terrible, evil, wicked thought. That is not sin. That is the result of the fallen nature. You have the same, every other uh, human being who ever lived, including Jesus, had temptation come into their life. The Bible says he was tempted yet without sin. So don't go around thinking I am this rotten, terrible, evil Christian because of some thought that comes in, I- into your mind. It becomes sin only when you what? You, begin to, you lay hold of it and you begin to play with it. That is when it becomes sin. It becomes sin in your mind. Verse 15, then when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown bring forth death when you are tempted flee flee or start talking about jesus <laughs> and doing what jesus actually did when he was tempted by satan what did he do he spoke the word of god you may be in certain situations where you can't flee if you can't you speak the word of god the bible says resist satan 1 peter chapter 5 also at the end of james here and he will what flee very good verse 16 do not be deceived my beloved brethren every good gift and every perfect gift is from Above And I love this verse because what it is saying is this. We treat sin sometimes as it's a good thing. We treat it as if it's some good thing. You know, oh, I know it's not good for me, but, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I know it's wrong, but, oh, it's, it's so good. Ooh, ah. No, no, he's saying, don't be deceived, verse 16. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Don't lay hold of what the world has to offer you. That is not a good gift. It's not a perfect gift. It is is from below. It's earthly. It's central. It's demonic, as James says later on in this book. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Lay hold of that. That is what he is saying here. In Romans chapter 6, they ask Paul, Boy, if if we're just abounding in grace and we're forgiven no matter what we do, which the Bible does uh, teach, by the way, once you're saved, you're forgiven no matter what you do, why not just go out and sin? And what does Paul, how does he respond to that? He says, God forbid that we should ever return to sin. What, are you crazy? Return to the life I had before, to the muck, to the mire, to all that stuff? Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down, verse 17, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Meaning he doesn't change and he's always giving, giving, giving. The Bible says in Exodus 34, 6, he's abounding in goodness. We'll close with verse 18. I love this verse. This verse does not get enough attention in the Bible. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So again, it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, meaning he called you. Jesus said to his disciples, what? You didn't choose me. I chose you. No one is ever going to be able to get before God and say, you know, the reason I'm here, there was, some, there was just that special something in me that made me choose you. <laughs> that I just, I was, you know, I was in a cave and I just, ooh, I just pulled myself up on my bootstraps and I just climbed out of that cave. No, it says in verse 18, of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. If you are here this morning and you think that you will ever be able to get into heaven based upon some good thing in your life, some good thing that you have done. You've been a good brother, a good sister, a good mother, a father, a good whatever, a good neighbor. And there was just something in you. That, I don't know, it was just special, and you just reached out, you cried out, you laid hold of God, and and wow, you should be in heaven just because you deserve it. You've earned it. You've earned the right to heaven. You laid hold of it in your own strength. Don't quit deceiving yourself. The Bible says, again, verse 18, of his own will. Why? Because he loved you so much, he brought us, you, forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, meaning that we would, be, um, uh, we would be creatures or human beings, men and women being transformed into the likeness of his son. And if you've never done that before, if you've never come to the place in your life where you respond to the call of God, He's not, the Bible says he's knocking on the door of your heart. The Bible says in uh, uh, Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, I knock at the door of your heart. If you open it up, I will come. in." if you've never done that, you have an eternity apart from God waiting for you. That's what the Bible says. Hell, apart from God, torment, punishment. Why not choose life? Abundant life now, an abundant life eternally with Him. Open up your heart. It's a simple prayer of faith. You can't, if you're waiting to clean up your life before you respond to God's call on your life, you'll be waiting for the rest of your life because you can't clean yourself up apart from the power of God in you. So if you've never done that before, if you never open up your heart and, and ask the Lord Jesus in, there'll be a couple of people up here after the service. You can pray with them or, or talk with me in the back or, or one of the other uh, pastors. We will pick it up in verse 19 uh, next week. Why don't we close in prayer? Worship team, if you could come up.